the same time, a lot of the food, again, it's very simple. There's a lot of it that's very potato-based. I did not have a good cup of coffee for most of the trip. And, with, you know, with this particular meal at this particular restaurant, like, a lot of the food was just bland. They had some fish that still had, like, scales on it. And, I mean, it, it was just yeah. overall... There was just too much of it where it's like, look, I know it's supposed to be simple. I know you're trying to go for healthier food, but that doesn't mean that the food from 150 years ago was the bee's knees. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, I got to be brutal when I say it. Yeah. I mean, like, now that really makes me think, like, is the salt shaker and pepper on on a table such an American thing? I mean, do they just have, like, malt vinegar on everything? Honestly, even the salt and pepper didn't may always make much of a difference because... <laughs> and then there was another yeah. location, because a lot of the... A lot of the um, a lot of the hotels that we were stopping at through the tour were, were essentially business hotels for, you know, exec, maybe not executives, but, like, you know, white-collar guys that were... Or, and gals that were stopping at these places because they had a business trip to go on. Essentially the kinds of stuff that the kind of stuff that my dad was doing at his old job, whenever he had to travel to London um, Mm -hmm. or Toronto. And, you know, there was one restaurant, I believe it was in, I think it was the, the city, the city was named Cork. Beautiful city. I should know. I mean, just, it's the kind of city where it felt, so metropolitan and so grand and it felt loud and yet it also felt very multicultural um and you know it it was just a great place to be in and there's a part of me that really wishes we stayed there longer but food at this hotel something that i brought up in my episode after we got after I, my family got back from Mexico that I pointed out was you could tell that the hotel and a lot of the restaurants in Mexico were still suffering from covid conditions mm-hmm. yeah that was 100% apparent with almost almost maybe 70 to 80% of where we went to that was apparent with almost everywhere else that we went to in Ireland with this particular hotel you knew that everybody working there was brand new. And you knew that because you could hear the discussions that a lot of these, you know, waiters and waitresses were having with each other. And on top of that, they're serving a bunch of, you know, 50 to 70 year old Americans, with the exception of my family, which is which ranges from the age of uh, you know, early 20s to early 60s and mm. just, you know, overwhelmed with the fact that we got to serve all these people and just not having the manpower, which I get it. I've been there. I worked in a restaurant, but I think we had it was I want to say it was either like a prime rib. No, it was a short rib. I forgot who said this next phrase I'm about to say, but I started applying it to what we had to eat at this particular hotel. Um, somebody at one point on the trip used the phrase scabby horse. That's what this short rib 
Uh, might as well have been <laughs> because it God. was it was so stale and it was practically nuked. It just was awful. Like just honestly, throughout much of Ireland, the best thing that I had was either a Guinness or a Guinness with this blackberry juice called black currant. Interesting. Which really made it really delicious. Um, and, and at this point in the trip, this like I still had my taste buds and I, I still had my sense of taste and sense of smell. The third notable place that we went to, I had this beef stew that tasted like nothing. Before that, though, I had this some kind of root stew, which naturally I was I actually I went out of my way to order simply out of the enthusiasm. Well, I mean, th enthusiasm, I mean, like muted enthusiasm because I've been just so beaten down by this point in the trip. Little did I know what was in store for me less than a half hour later. Um, but that, you know, I, I saw, oh, you know, salad or this root stew with potatoes in it. So I got the root stew. Number one, it was hot. And number two, I forgot the full name, but it was something, something, something root stew. And I got a kick out of the fact that I was eating a root stew and it was hot because in The Empire Strikes Back, Yoda is serving Luke root leaf stew. Ah, yeah. And when Luke's about to eat it, Yoda goes, <laughs> hot! And, <laughs> so and honestly, that was the best part of that dinner. My mom disagreed with me, but you know what? I thought it was the best part. And... Uh, it wasn't until the end of that dinner, right after I had the dessert and right before I had the sample of the whiskey I mentioned earlier, that two of my senses uh, vanished. So, and, and mind you, this was in like a huge lodge with a live show, which we had a couple of live shows, which one was just a bunch of college students. The second one was like, oh, we have a guy who performed in Les Mis in London this could be interesting. Oh, um, okay. So the food, I mean, <laughs> again, the food in Ireland left a lot to be desired. Scotland, minus when we were in the Highlands, Scotland was a huge improvement. Um, again, something else, though, and this applies in both countries, is that a lot of the food they have to offer is slowly the type of it's slowly I think it's slowly become the kind of food you would anticipate in any city in the United States that is comfort food not everybody in my family wants to eat comfort food all the time I know I certainly don't always want to eat it but you know what if, mm -hmm. if it's at least flavorful I'll go for it um and by this point again my taste my sense of taste was back so having a buffalo chicken burger i could taste it all and it was chef's kiss uh i think you should mm. break it down because comfort food does mean different things to different people i think when i think of comfort food it's it's for one thing it's typically breaded it's typically fried and typically fatty and you know and that that could be anything from a place that just has nothing but fried chicken that could be a restaurant that just has nothing but, you know, southern barbecue cuisine. So, like, for example, um, probably a notable one that I actually don't mind, uh, Lucille's, which mm -hmm. compared with other barbecue restaurants out here is vastly different. 
like comparing uh, Wood Ranch with Lucille's, it, it <laughs> feels unfair. Please. Yeah, like it's please. And, yes. the, <laughs> and the irony is that both of them are serving a lot of the same food. It's just everything tastes differently and is presented totally differently. So like even Wood Ranch, I would argue they're sliding more into the comfort food zone, but they still want to be better than that and bigger than that. That made it difficult for a lot for a lot of reasons in terms of where we go to have food. And and even the idea of getting Mexican food was kind of out of the question, which, I, you know, I, I don't blame my family in that regards of being like, well, it's we, we know we, we know better what Mexican food is, where we live in the Santa Clarita Valley. We may be two out of our Scotland and Ireland might be two out of our comfort zone in terms of quote unquote, good Mexican food. Of course. Of course, that then that means we get Italian food and, and Asian food and both blew us out of the park. So, um, yeah, that was a harsh limitation. But at the same time, when 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 you've got a KFC and a McDonald's next door to each other, you're thinking to yourself, well, gee, they're really trying to fit in as much unique stuff in contrast to just shoving in the big global corporate chains right next to each other like i don't know how many five guys we saw really um, yeah there was there was one at the mall in edinburgh and i was like what a five guys in the mall where am i is this a westfield that, you know that's mind-blowing <laughs> because you know you're i it sounds you expect the mcdonald's and uh you know burger kings and things like that but Mm-hmm. That's actually really good. Uh, I'd really love to hear, actually, and I'm sure we could spend a whole podcast on fast food. But I'm very surprised to hear that out of all the places, five, I didn't realize Five Guys was that international. But um, me too. How? Uh, I mean, but I'd also imagine the offerings probably aren't much different, right? It's not like they have like a fish and chips newspaper wrapped hamburger, right? I mean, like what's <laughs> going on at the fast foods out there? We well, we didn't really look that hard at the menus at some of the typical fast food places that we could get here. Mm -hmm. Um, Really the only place, the only place we went to there that we can easily get here in SoCal was Krispy Kreme. Ah, it is everywhere too. Yeah. And which of course I'm talking about Krispy Kreme on an episode where Sebastian's not here, um, given he used to work at one, but um, it, it didn't live up to the standards of a Krispy Kreme here. And we got the food pretty... Well, here's the thing. We we ate... We started eating our food pretty quickly. But I'm convinced that a lot of it was sitting out for a while. Oh. And either lost its flavor or was just stale. Um, I Thankfully, I was lucky in that the donut I picked was great. It was it was like a, a glazed donut with raspberry in the middle. Well, excuse Beautiful. me. It technically wasn't in the middle. It was more like raspberry off to the side, but <laughs> whatever. That's still, like an was, amazing selection, though, nonetheless. Well, they even had, like, glazed donuts with, like, the Xbox logo on them. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, there was one with Nutella where it was, like, Nutella with brownie batter, which... The brownie batter and Nutella was divine. The donut itself tasted like styrofoam. Um, mm-hmm. w- when we go out of the country, we're 
we don't want to be like, you know, my grandmother, I think once complained, I think she went to Italy once and complained about needing to find a McDonald's. And then, you know, fast forward to when my family <laughs> went to Rome and it felt like there was a McDonald's on every corner. We don't go out of our way to go to the usual suspects that we have here, like a McDonald's or a KFC or As five guys. Yeah. Traveling dead yeah. right. And so, but when we don't know these restaurants that we don't necessarily have here, like Wagamama, it's like, okay, we're tempting fate, essentially. We're going to go in and maybe the food will be great. Maybe it'll be god awful. And certainly most of the time it was the case where we got lucky, at least in Scotland. Other times, like the Chinese food that we got, um, towards the end of our time in the Highlands, that was very dicey just because, number one, we got takeout. Number two, we didn't necessarily know how everything was going to stack up compared with a lot of, you know, typical things like chow mein and, you know, kung pao chicken like you would expect yeah. to have here. Personally, I thought a lot of it was good, but also, like, I'm... I like to explore with my Chinese food. You know, I... I like to try different things, even if it's stuff that my folks won't like. And I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't have the appetite of an eight-year-old, as somebody else in my family would say. Um, I'm not <laughs> going to name names everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pull a Trump on the those uh, Super Bowl winners, and you know, talk about all the burgers and the oh. many, many French fries. Like, uh, uh-uh. oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, to, to step away a bit from the food, I mean, some of the other stuff that we saw, you know, we, we went to uh, Killarney, Kilkenny, uh, we went to Blarney Castle. No, I did not kiss the Blarney Stone. Um, oh, but... that thing must be totally nasty. I mean, was it was <laughs> cool. it underwhelming? I'm curious. Well, here, OK, so the castle itself and the and the grounds outstanding. Like I, I, I took. God knows how many pictures because the gardens were beautiful. They've got this foresty area that was like one of the coolest just walks through a forest I've ever had. I mean, they had like a Jurassic fern garden. Nice. Um, and the castle itself, like it, it, it was a pretty generic castle, but it's just sitting on this hillside. And the way the clouds looked, the the sky, I mean, I took a ton of pictures of the castle. It was it was great, but the idea of needing to climb up, while we're also, by the way, uh, if this episode hasn't reminded people, while we're technically still in a pandemic, and going up, getting in line, getting in the cramped spaces of a castle just to kiss a rock <laughs> yeah. that thousands, if not millions of other people have been uh, tonguing, like... I, pass and also i have a personal reason not to go up there because i had a family member that i'm not too fond of who also once kissed the blarney stone so i was like i'm definitely not going up there and i should note there were signs showing what the original purpose of that portion of the castle was and they were showing like captive knights getting hung by their ankles by other by like enemy combatants and basically it, it was almost as if the castle was like a, a 
a prison. And basically you use that portion, that top end of the castle to threaten people and get information out of them. Essentially, I went to uh, I went to Ireland's Guantanamo. Ireland's medieval Guantanamo, if you will. So that still doesn't rob the fact that it was a great area to visit. You know, we went to, uh, I believe it was uh, this port town called uh, Cove, C-O-B-H, because of Gaelic. Mm-hmm. It, that was a great stop just because we essentially went to where, you know, it was a big immigration spot. It's where a lot of Irish immigrants left to go to the United States and to Canada and to other countries. It's also where the Titanic left uh, before it yeah. made its uh, fateful journey. Awesome. And, you know, uh, we also went to um, probably the most beautiful spot on the entire trip. Actually, before I get to that, I will mention we went to a shoreside where you could see the Skellig Islands. Which, fun fact, way off in the distance, I don't know if I could have actually seen it from where we were, but one of the Skellig Islands is called Skellig Michael. Skellig Michael has a lot of dwellings and a lot of, there's a lot of like historical excavations done there. There's also a lot of effort preserving a lot of the history on that island. The island became famous in recent years because that's where they filmed the site of the first Jedi temple in uh, the first two, and I guess technically it was in all three of them, um, at least the first two Star Wars sequel films. It's where Luke Skywalker exiles himself. Yeah. The shoreline is beautiful. Um, The hills in that area are gorgeous. And then prior to that, we went to the Cliffs of Moher, which everybody can go on, you know, not to toot my own horn here but everybody can go to my instagram my ireland picture starts with a cliffs of moor photo again greenest grass bluest sky bluest ocean easily my favorite part of that half of the trip just absolutely wonderful and and a and by that point i wasn't sick either so it really it really added into just this this amazing feeling of seeing some of the most beautiful countryside I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of oddities and other things I saw along the way. Like, we saw a lot of castles, lots of cows, lots of sheep. <laughs> and uh, we also went to a castle for a dinner. And it's debatable whether or not this might have also been where I got COVID. Possibly. But we went up into this castle right by this... Um, not ocean saw, not it wasn't an ocean, but right by this small lake. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna s- actually send the pictures to you right now. And we went there for dinner, and, and it's probably the closest I'm ever gonna get to like a Game of Thrones experience. But what was funny about it was that my, like the people that were working there were in period dress and period oh. mannerisms. Yeah. <laughs> We had multiple tour groups there, and there needed to be a king and a queen at the head table. And my parents were chosen to be the king and queen. <laughs> nice. And they even got their own, like, leather crowns that they wore that night. And, you know, the food there, not that bad. It was still pretty bland and boring. 
Um, I think we had a potato and leek soup, which was like mush, but it wasn't all that bad. Um, plenty of wine. They also had mead. Mead was wonderful. Um, but we were like in this crowded room and you'll see that I I managed to get at least one picture in of the crowded room. I am looking at it now and yeah, Yeah. it does look, um, COVID nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say it does look, um. Quaint is not the right word. A, a very close quarters quaint, but you do see that there is uh, some charm in the building because it is. I mean, if, if you had no context with this, you're like, where else is that? Probably a castle or something. So mm-hmm. um, I see the elements of charm still there. So I, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of a cute little thing. I think it's a nice effort. And is it touristy? Yeah, maybe they're trying, but it still sounds awesome. Like, I would still do this. Yeah, I mean, honestly, despite everything, and I know my parents were kind of complaining a bit about it, and honestly, I don't know what my parents wouldn't complain about, frankly. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I still had kind of a kick out of it because the best part was it wasn't like the, the people working there were going to knight my sister and I as the duke and duchess or whatever um but i do remember my sister as well as some other people commenting you know hey what what are you guys chopped liver and i i took it in stride i was like hey this is my chance to be Tyrion lannister hey you know what i do drink and know things so ha 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 um so so, you know it it was I, i still had fun um again the close quarters and stuff like that like I did try and let a lot of my phobias go on this trip. Does that did that contribute to my downfall and getting sick? Honestly, I think I would have gotten sick no matter what. Anywhere, especially with the company, not my family, but with the company I was with in terms of being with a bunch of other Americans that were hacking and sniffling and whatnot. And they were from all over the place. Like we had people from New Hampshire we had people from Pennsylvania, we had people from Georgia, from Texas, notor- most notoriously from Texas. Hmm. Um, and and we had the tour guide, I, I should say, like, I, I'm, I'm making this sound like a very iffy trip. And in a lot of ways it was. But the tour guide we had was the su- she just the sweetest, sweetest woman, sweetest person ever. And she really, despite everything else, she really made the trip. Uh, come alive and feel warm and welcoming and she was funny you know she had a history in acting so like she'd start breaking out in all these voices and singing and it was really funny too because at one point my folks thought that she reminded them of of all people mrs doubtfire okay yeah yeah to me and i haven't said this yet actually yet to my mom this lady actually looked a frightening a, a frightening bit like my mom she and and whereas in my case, she reminded me of Julie Andrews, and a lot of it yep. had to do with her voice. And lo and behold, at some point she starts singing songs from The Sound of Music, and she sounds exactly like Julie Andrews. Oh God, this is and uh... the other thing too that I've learned with a lot of the different trips and tours I've done is the quirks and mannerisms of who's driving you around or who like that's just it. We were on a bus. She wasn't the one driving us around. 
she made it work and she made it lively. And honestly, I don't really know if she does have Irish ancestry, but she jumps back and forth from London and Scotland. So honestly, it was kind of difficult to pinpoint her accent because every time she did either a posh accent or a Northern English accent or a Scottish accent, it was like, wow, she's giving me a run for my money. Like it was, it was really kind of frightening, but also pretty funny. Um, and again, just a lovely, lovely lady. Like I, all of all of our problems on the trip aside, I wouldn't lay blame anything on her. She was a genuine delight. cities in both Dublin and Edinburgh we went to some of the art museums lots of beautiful stuff to see pretty small admittedly trying to think what else you know we walked through some of the old graveyards you know we saw plenty of again wildlife ranging from cows and sheep to uh well we we got to be in a in a jaunting car where we had a guy so this was in uh Killarney and we had a guy with, again, yet another not so easy to understand Irish accent, but you know what? Shout out to BBC for teaching me all these years. Um, who was riding this horse, uh, not riding a horse, but uh, riding us around in a little, not necessarily a carriage, but kind of like a part wagon, part carriage, part sled. Not a sled. It had wheels. Um what was so funny about the experience was that we kept cracking jokes to the episode of Seinfeld where Kramer uh, has a jaunting car with a horse by the name of Rusty. And, of course, Kramer has an overabundance of food and he gives the horse Beefarino. Oh, yes. And then he drives around uh, uh, Susan's parents and they're and they're like, you know, why do you feed this animal? We can't breathe back here. Yeah. What yeah. made the what made the, the jaunting thing was actually delightful. I, I really enjoyed it. But the best part was the name of the horse was Susie. Oh. Yeah. Which it's... again, going back to Seinfeld, there's that great episode where somebody accidentally refers to Elaine as Susie and then starts calling her things like Suze, and she snaps at this gal and says, It's not Suze. It's Susie. Um, so that <laughs> That kind of that kind of added into the fun of, you know, you're thinking of one Seinfeld episode, thinking of another. Illness and our obnoxious fellow 
tourists aside, Ireland was a, a perfect, well, okay, not a perfect, but certainly a certifiable Irish experience. Um, and and then with Scotland, I mean, again, when it came to the last portion of the trip, we we made the best of it. We also, I should note too, we went to Balmoral, which is uh, basically the Queen's country home and we walked the grounds and we walked around the the building um we walked through a portion of the building where they had some old items and even clothing that queen elizabeth has worn and this was by the way right after the queen's jubilee yeah Um, what timing oh yeah between the jubilee and her recent health issues like there was something eerie about being on this trip at this point in her tenure, if you will, of being monarch, um, like it, it was, it was a little, it was a little eerie and weird. Um, the vibes are yeah. crazy. By the time we got to Edinburgh, we had some extra time, and and you know we had a bunch of tours and stuff planned in the Highlands, and our first day in. No, no, we we still did the first tour in Edinburgh, but all the stuff that we were supposed to do in the Highlands, we canceled all of that just so we could all recover, uh, recover from COVID, and and I could follow up on the Obi Wan reviews. <laughs> um, before we got into Edinburgh, we made a stop that I was very thankful we did we we made this stop because it was somewhere I wanted to go, and and it was almost ruled out that we weren't going to go, but we went to Roslyn Chapel which is like 20, 30 minutes out outside of Edinburgh. What makes Rosslyn Chapel unique outside of being admittedly a rather beautiful and, and very old medieval church is that thanks to some 20th century conspiracy theorists uh, and, a, and a certain best-selling author by the name of Dan Brown, it's suggested to be a potential location for the Holy Grail. Mm, yeah Mm -hmm. and this was where um spoilers for people that haven't watched a movie that's 16 years old but uh this is where tom hanks and uh audrey tattoo show up at the very end of the da vinci code to hopefully uncover the holy grail and instead find out that uh tattoo's character arguably not even arguably it's it's totally said in the movie She's essentially the Holy Grail because she's the last living descendant of Christ. And it was a fun stop. I loved visiting it. Yes, I'm not religious, but you know what? I can still find the beauty in religious architecture. I mean, hell, I've been to the Vatican. It was, I loved it. Um, the history of the Vatican aside. Um, but... You know, it, and and on top of that too, I should know, and I have it right next to me. I I do know I'm going to open it for a special occasion. I just don't know what that special occasion will be. But I did pick up a small bottle of Rosslyn Chapel single malt Scotch whiskey. All right, which yeah. seemed to make sense that you would get something to drink at the location, the alleged location of the Holy Grail. So uh, I got that to stare at on my desk um when i'm thinking to myself oh ryan you know there's there's new adventures out there just think like 
Indiana Jones or Robert Langdon. Um, yeah. Anyway, a couple of the breakfasts we had in Edinburgh were wonderful. Um, we did go a little out of our way to spend a little bit of time at the Waldorf, um, which technically was Hilton, but whatever. Um, and had a pre- couple pretty good breakfasts there. Right across from our hotel was like the Johnny Walker capital of the world. <laughs> yeah. So, and and interestingly, they had like this little quiz thing you could take based on foods that you like. And because there's a lot of foods that I do really enjoy, like I love bananas. I love Raisin Bran. I could have orange juice any time of day. <laughs> yeah. Their recommendation for me was gold label and red label. Based okay. off of. Yeah, and, and there were other foods too. I don't remember all of them, but yeah, that was that was kind of fun. One other really cool thing about Edinburgh was that all around town there were these little shacks that you would see and a lot of them were repurposed either as coffee kiosks, um ticket counters, uh or they were just completely abandoned or they were like little restaurant uh dessert stands. These shacks back in the mid 20th century were police boxes. I'll explain why I know a thing or two about police boxes in the United Kingdom. Um, But essentially, these were little outposts that police officers could go to and they could either, you know, get water, get supplies, get, you know, fresh clothes supplies billy clubs helmets what have you and they typically featured a telephone and you know it was basically it was like a big shed you just walk up and open you know unlock it open the doors there's everything hanging there for you to use when you're on patrol and they kind of i think they went out of fashion i want to say by the early 1970s while they don't look identical to probably the most famous police box in the world more or less, the part of the reason why anybody knows what a police box is, or at least a British police box, is because the standard one of the 1960s in in great in uh, England became the design for the TARDIS and Doctor Who. And oh, so, yeah. But obviously, like I said, in Scotland they're built and shaped a little bit differently, but you could still see they had similar windows, similar doors. Um, they had a spot on the top of the roof for a light because the idea is if it was nighttime, you'd see that blue light off in the distance and you're thinking, oh, that's where I can go. I can go make a call to headquarters and see if they have some tea. Um, <laughs> so um, so it was, it was always kind of cool to see that. Yeah, they don't look identical to the TARDIS, but some of them were still blue and some of them were totally left alone. And I'd still kind of geek out a little bit just because I'm like, hey, it looks like the TARDIS. That's cool. Um, <laughs> it is so cool. It's... Even like kids who don't know how to speak know mm-hmm. that you're in the UK when you see that. Similar to that, there was an Italian restaurant called Mama's founded by a gentleman by the name of Angus McGinnis. I remember looking at the outside of the building and written on chalk, it says founded in uh, founded 1985. By Star Wars gold leader Angus McGinnis, with a chalk drawing of a Y wing underneath it. No way. 
And I saw that and I'm like, wait, you mean the guy who's like, this is gold leader making our attack run now? Like, and, and then, you know, pulling up Google images, I'm like, oh, wow, that, that is Angus McInnes. Wow. Um, so I didn't know the guy was Scottish. I don't think he is, but he certainly has a, a damn good <laughs> Scottish name.